in our study of the people Jesus met. We have learned a lot about Jesus and about the need for faith in him. The people in Jesus' day were no different than the people we meet every day. Sick, depressed, weak, lonely, needing someone to come alongside them and help them find faith in the Savior who can change their lives. Now we can see ourselves in those people Jesus encountered, and today in our story we see another person just like us. He was lying on a mat near the temple waiting for a chance to go into a pool of water, the pool of Bethesda, of Bethesda to find healing. He thought his only hope was in that pool of water, but then he met Jesus. Jesus took an interest in this man and called him to leave his hopeless condition and follow him with new life. And Jesus is still issuing that same call to us today, calling us to follow him, to rise and walk. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5 as we continue our series on the people Jesus encountered and though he saw as persons of interest. John chapter 5, would you bow with me as we seek the Lord before we study his word together? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the word that we have today is a holy word because it comes from a holy God. It is a true word because it comes from the truth, from the God who is truth, from the Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, today your word is truth to us. And God, we've come here today, we have felt good, it has been encouraging and a blessing to worship you, to hear this beautiful music, but Lord, we want to be challenged by the word. We... None of us are where we need to be. It's like Paul said. He said, I always press forward. I always reach for that which is ahead for me. And Lord, that's what we ought to do. Every day we ought to be saying, Lord, change me. Mold me. Make me into what you want me to be. Lord, one day we're going to be perfect. We're going to put on glorified bodies. We're going to be just like Jesus. We're going to understand everything. We're going to have perfect knowledge, a perfect will. Right now, we need some work. And so, Father, I pray, if there's anything you want us to know about you and your purpose for us in this passage, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak it to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Person of interest. Now, the setting here, as, uh, as we've seen in the video, is the temple in Jerusalem, and more specifically, it was a pool near the Sheep Gate. Let's look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. After this, and after this means that Jesus had done something before this, which uh, is he had healed a lot of people, worked a lot of miracles. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. I want you to remember that gate, the sheep gate. It's an important gate. Sheep gate, remember there were gates in the walls of Jerusalem to get in and out. 
the sheep gate, was the gate in the Jerusalem wall through which lambs and sheep bought in the market. The, the gate would enter and exit in the mar- not far from the market. And it was that gate through which the lambs and sheep bought in the market were brought to the temple for sacrifice. The sheep gate was the first gate that was rebuilt in the wall of Jerusalem when the Jews returned from Babylonian captivity. Remember, they had been captives in Babylon for 70 years, about 70 years, and then through the King, King Cyrus of Persia, God let them go home. And he sent them home, and they went back, and they started rebuilding. They, through Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. Through Nehemiah, they started rebuilding the wall. And listen to what Nehemiah 3.1 tells us. I've got it on the screen. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up, with his brothers, the priest, and built the what? Sheep gate. And they consecrated it and hung its doors. Let me tell you that this sheep gate was consecrated. In other words, it was set apart. It was a special gate because it was going to be the gate through which those lambs for sacrifice were brought into the temple so they could be killed as sacrifices and offered through the, the animals would go through this gate so they could be sacrificed as, as offerings for the sins of the people. Now, while all the gates in Jerusalem had special meanings, the sheep gate holds an important truth about Jesus, which we should not overlook. It was this gate through which lambs and sheep, sheep were brought for sacrifice that Jesus entered, always entered Jerusalem. Did you hear me? He always went in through the sheep gate, except for one time when Jesus entered through the eastern gate on Palm Sunday. On that Sunday, we call it his triumphal entry. So he's on that donkey riding through the gate, the eastern gate of Jerusalem, and people are waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, The sheep gate was the gate for the lambs and sheep brought for sacrifice. And it was through this gate that the Lamb of God entered Jerusalem. Okay? The eastern gate, he went through one time on his triumphal entry because when Jesus returns, guess which gate he's going to enter? The eastern gate. The gate of the King of Kings. And that's, that's when he's coming again. In great power. He will come and he will ride through the eastern gate and he will establish his kingdom on the earth. So, when Jesus came to die on the cross, he came through which gate? The sheep gate. He was the Lamb of God, which takes away our sins. But when Jesus returns in righteousness, he will come through the eastern gate. Now near the sheep gate was a pool or a mikvah. We've talked about that. We talked about a mikvah before. A mikvah was like a baptism pool. You know, you went down into water for ceremonial cleansing. Remember, according to the law, the Old Testament law, there were certain times you needed cleansing. If you had touched a dead body, you needed cleansing. Been around some sick people, you needed cleansing. So this this mikvah, people could in 
on the way into to the temple to worship, they can go down into the mikvah and be and be washed, wash their bodies, be ceremonially ceremonially clean. Now, the this mikvah or pool was called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. Around this pool stood five porches with columns. Now, probably provided some shade for the people, and it was porches, and people kind of, people hung out there, we'll say. Excavations have revealed a rectangular pool, just like you saw in the video, with two basins separated by a wall. That wall served like as a dam to allow water from the upper spring, the upper pool, to flow into the lower pool where people went down. Now, I found a picture on Reverend Timothy Gibson's website that depicts what the pool in Sheepgate may have looked like when Jesus found this man, this person of interest. You can see it here. You see where it says Bethesda. So these are the pools, and you see there's an upper one and a lower one. And the upper one fed the lower one, and then you walk all around the path and you go through the sheep gate after you've been to the pool. Jerusalem's pilgrims would flock to the Bethesda pool to purify themselves for worship. And as we see in our text, to seek healing. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 5 in John. Stay with me in the word now. In these days, or excuse me, in these, in these porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So let's get the picture here. Inside the sheep gate, okay, just outside the sheep gate, at the pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy, were many sick people lying on the five porches surrounding the pool. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people were waiting patiently for the moment when this pool would stir or maybe bubble up. These were desperate people, people who may have, may have spent most of their time there watching and waiting for that moment for that chance to have a miracle take place in their lives. Their entire hope was a gamble. Are you with me? Their hope was a gamble that when that pool bubbled, they could be the first one in it. Now, I don't know if it was an angel or a sudden eruption of minerals from the spring which fed the pool that brought these healing properties, but from the text, it sounds like miracles were taking place there. I mean, it sounds like we see blind people, crippled people waiting to be made whole from the water. Uh, to me, though... It was a sad sight. I just want you to think about this for a minute. I think it's a sad, it was a sad sight. All these people, desperate people, coming day after day, watching the water. It's like a fisherman out in the boat fishing with some minnows, and he's got a cork on it. You know what I'm talking about. He's got a cane pole and a cork or whatever he's using. He's watching that cork, just watching it hour after hour. He's watching, just waiting for a fish to bite and that cork to go under. That's what these people were doing. They were sitting, lying. They were doing just, 
They were there watching that pool, that little pool of water. His little, relatively pool, little compared to the hundreds or maybe thousands of people that were on those five porches. They were all glued to that water. Did we see a bubble? Was that a, was that a bubble? Was that a stir? Is this the time? And these people, and all of a sudden, when the water stirred, you know what happened? What would happen? It would be like a stampede for that pool. Can you see people getting knocked down? I can. I mean, it's like Black Friday at Walmart. You know what I'm saying? I remember going to a Black Friday at Walmart and trying to get, it was when Thomas was young and I, I was going to get him his first laptop computer. And Walmart had that Black Friday deal, uh, $100 for a laptop computer. And I remember I got up early. And I got to Walmart about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I got there just waiting for those laptop computers. And I got there just for a chance to get one of them. We found out there was only going to be like six of them in the whole store there. Six $100 laptop computers. And how many people do you think were there around that computer center? Hundreds of people. I mean, I'd never seen that store pack. I'd never seen any store pack. Like, they were hundreds of people around there. And somebody would come out of the back. Some stock guy would come out of the back with, a, with a, some boxes on a cart. Hundreds were to run to that cart to see what was on that cart. Is that a computer? Is there a laptop there? Then they would run back up to the, com- to the electronics counter. And I remember when they were running somewhere else, I eased, worked my way up so I could get right there at the front so I could be one of those people to grab that computer. And all of a sudden, there came a box up in the air. And I was reaching for it, and I thought, I, and I'm a pretty good-sized guy. I thought I was going to be trampled to death. That's what I thought, because they were climbing up over my head. I mean, they put their hands on me and climbed up me like a ladder. Now, I didn't get one, and I said, that'll be my last Black Friday. Jessica loves them. She's uh, like the Black Friday girl uh, in her family, but not me. I said, I've had enough climbing over me and stampeding me. I didn't go back and... You know, now they figure it out, right? They do Black Friday for a week or two, a couple Black Friday. But anyway, can you see that? I made, a, made light of that, but can you see what's happening around that pool? People, hundreds, maybe thousands of people on five porches around that pool. And they're desperate people, folks. They're hurting people. These are, pe- these are not silly people. These are desperate people. And they are waiting for that pool, for the water to start bubbling in that pool. And they will do anything to get into it. Some other people might have died being trampled, maybe. That's the setting. It's not a pretty sight. This is an ugly, to me, this is a terrible, it's a, this is a, a really, a really heart-wrenching sight. All these people with faith in that water. Folks, it was just water. But they had faith in it, that ritual water. Have you ever heard of something like that, like people putting 
their trust in the ritual cleansing of water. I, I can't tell you how many people I have asked in my lifetime, are you a Christian? They've said, uh, yeah, I've been baptized. Folks, the truth is, I mean, I wish a whole lot more people were being baptized. If you haven't been baptized in water, you need to be. Because it's a symbol of your faith in Jesus. But that's what it is. Baptism, like the Lord's Supper, doesn't save you. It's not the means of salvation. It's a symbol of faith in the saving grace of God. Faith in water produces nothing but a clean body. Faith in Jesus Christ produces a cleansed and transformed heart. According to the word of the people who lay around this pool, we just read it, an angel might heal that one person who outran everyone else to the bubbling water. But what God has told us in His Word is that forgiveness and eternal life, that they're not for the fastest or the strongest or the richest or the poorest or the most religious, but His grace is available to anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus said, listen to this, after this happened with this man, in John 7, 37 and 38, look what Jesus said. On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, read it with me, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's not a pool, that's a Savior. Amen? That's Jesus. He has what you need. He has everything you need. Now if that water, even if that water in the Bethesda pool somehow magically saved those people from their illnesses, it certainly cannot save them from their sins. But walking through that sheep gate that day, the Lamb of God could both heal them and save them. Look at verse 5 and 6. Now a certain man was there on one of the porches around the pool who had an infirmity 38 years. Now it doesn't say what the infirmity was, but we can deduce that from the rest of the passage and everything. He had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Now, that's a no-brainer question, isn't it? I mean, really. How would you have answered Jesus if Jesus had said to you, do you want to be made well? What, what about you? Think about the time in your life when it's been really tough for you, okay? You had a tough time. And Jesus said, do you want to be made well? What would your answer be? Yes, Jesus, absolutely I want to be healed. Absolutely, there's no question about it. I want to be well. But that's not what this man answered. Look at verse 7. Now notice with me. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Did Jesus say anything about the pool and the water? No. He didn't say anything about that. 
Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And the man said, I, I don't have anybody who can help me get into the magic water. Why didn't this man just put his faith in Jesus? Because he was stuck. He was in a rut. He was lying there year after year at that pool in all his misery. All the multitudes of people gambling on a chance to get into the water. They could, look, they could have been following Jesus. They could have. Jesus was not unknown to the people of that day. Uh, he had been around for at least a year, maybe two, healing thousands and thousands of people. Listen to what Matthew said about Jesus' notoriety here. Matthew 4. Then Jesus' fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed Jesus from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Jesus was known, well known, as the healer. He believed me, many believed he was the promised Messiah. Even the Romans knew about Jesus. Thousands and thousands of people followed him. We know he fed from ten to 20,000 people when he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And then again in another passage, he, feed, he fed 4,000 more. That's, that's why wherever Jesus went, the news spread all over Israel. People ran to Jesus to follow Jesus. But here at this pool, you had hundreds, maybe thousands of people. We don't know, but... A whole lot of sick people and miserable people. And they were not following Jesus. They were just stuck in a rut at the pool watching the water. They weren't watching for Jesus. They were watching the water. Watching the water. This one man, he could have followed Jesus. Listen, I talk to people, people in our own church family. And they can't get out and they can't do what they used to do. I understand what age does, believe me. I understand how your body gets a little harder to get up in the morning, doesn't it? Get a few more aches and pains, things you never had before. I got it. And then you forget things. Sometimes you go upstairs or go to the other room, forget what you went in there for, right? Folks, listen to me. No matter what your condition, you can still do something to follow Jesus. I know people who can't walk anymore, who can't get out of the house anymore, but they can make phone calls and encourage people every day. Whatever your condition, you ought to be doing something for Jesus, not laying around a pool waiting for some water to bubble so you might think again, well, I'll never get there. There's an old saying, folks. Birds of a feather flock together. And there's another one. Misery loves company. Would you stay in a place of sickness when the salvation of Jesus is available? Well, some people do. It's one thing to face suffering and pray to be healed while you go on living. But it's another thing to focus all your attention on your problem and yourself and fail to see Jesus. And hear Jesus and look to Jesus for the strength to get through. 
He can help you. Jesus can help you. When you're sad, He can make you glad. When you're weak, He can be your strength, but He can help you if you put one foot in front of the other, if you put one bit of will and desire in front of the the rest, and you want to serve Jesus, and you want to follow Jesus, He'll help you. For, For some people, though, it's easier to live in pain and misery than to give it all to Jesus. Isn't that right? This man had some real problems, folks. He needed real help. Notice that the man at the pool of water, notice about him, he was unable to walk. He was unable to expect help from anyone else. So he's pretty lonely, right? You know? And he was unable to tear himself away from the misery that was around him. He was in a rut. Have you ever been in a rut? Spiritual rut, emotional rut, some kind of rut? What he needed to do was look not to a pool of troubled water, but look to the one who can calm the troubled soul. Amen? He needed to leave the environment of disease and believe in the one who was wounded for our transgressions and by whose stripes we are healed. He needed to stop putting his hope in the angel of the pool who could help his body and instead put all his faith in the Christ who is over all the angels and who can heal the sin-sick soul. This man didn't know it. But he didn't need to be purified bodily in a pool of water. You know what he needed? He needed to plunge into the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunged beneath its flow lose all their guilty stains. He needed Jesus. This man, like everyone, needed Jesus. And the good news is, when he couldn't help himself, Jesus found him. I like it. I love love this passage. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, remember what the man said? Jesus said, "You you want to be healed? Well, I don't have anybody to help me get in the bubbly water. Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. He didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't say, wait a minute, Jesus, didn't you hear me? I don't have anybody. Are you going to help me get in the water? The water's not even bubbling now. I don't have anybody to help me there. I'm all alone. Did he argue with Jesus? No. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And what did the man do? Immediately. The man was made well, and he took up his bed, and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath, which, by the way, that sounds like a good day for a miracle, don't it? The Lord's Day. (laughs) This poor man who was so desperate that he lived in a sea of sickness for a chance to get into a pool of mercy for a minute, this man found new life when he listened to the word of Jesus. Jesus said, get up and take up your, get up, take up your bed and get out of this place. And the man did. He looked to Jesus and the man who had not been able to stand up off his mat for 38 years, he walked out of that sick place carrying his mat with him. Was that a miracle? Amen. And that brings us to our faith lesson. Let's read it together. Pull up my faith lesson. Ready? Let's go. In times of desperation, we find healing not by looking to the world for help, but by listening to the word of Jesus. Amen. 
Now today, folks, Jesus is still speaking miracles of life and health and blessing and peace that we will never experience His power until we stop looking to the world and start listening for His voice. The world will lie to you, folks. The world will do everything it can to draw you in and paralyze you. Satan wants your attention to be on the problems of this world because when you're focused on all the evil, it affects your thinking. I, I want to ask you a question. I heard Dr. David Jeremiah say this morning, he said, I just quit watching the news. He said, all I like to do is see the headlines anymore. I quit looking at it before I go to bed. Now, you know, like I do, it doesn't matter which one you're looking at, which one of those stations. But don't you think if that's all you do is look at the news that it's going to affect your attitude toward everything? What do you think? It's going to affect everything. It's, it's just going to affect you. I know we need to pay attention to what's going on in the world so we can speak for the truth and speak out for what's right and stand up against the wrong. But guys, there's other things on besides Fox and CNN and MSNBC and all that stuff. There's other stuff. Don't fill your mind completely with the bad news of the world. Because I'm, I'm, let me ask you, let me poll you. Out of the new, think about your favorite news channel. Out of all that, let's take one hour. How much of that hour would be bad news and how much good news? All right, are you with me? You ready to take the poll? How much of that one hour, 60 minutes, would be bad news as opposed to good news? All right, let's start with the bad news. Would you say it's at least half? At least half of the news is bad news. Raise your hand. Let's see, okay? All right, Some, okay. Three-fourths, raise your hand if you think it's three-fourths. Yeah, you see the hands are going up. Why? That leaves a little bit for good news. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to grab your mind and focus and on in your focus because he wants to paralyze you. Evil, constantly being fed, bad news, sickness, whatever you're focused on, it affects you. This man was lying there. He was, he was not just paralyzed physically. He was paralyzed emotionally and spiritually. That's what Satan likes to do, to get us so wrapped up in the things of this world that we do not seek God. We're too busy trying to survive and find a little pleasure in life that we forget the most important thing, to know Jesus and grow in our walk with Him. There's nothing more important. The psalmist knew where he could find help. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where comes my help? My help comes from where? The Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Jesus said, read this one with me. My sheep, let's pull it up. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never what? Perish. Neither shall anyone Snatched him out of my hand. That's your powerful Savior. That's the one upon whom you can always depend. Amen? Now, whether it's in this life or the life to come, what we need is to get our eyes off ourselves and walk with Jesus. He knows all about us, folks. This man at the pool, he didn't even know Jesus, but Jesus knew him. In verse 6, it tells us Jesus saw, saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time because Jesus knows us all. He knew that man even before the man knew him and before any of us were born. 
Jesus knew us, knew, us, knew how long it would be, we would lie paralyzed in a sinful condition, knew where to find us, knew how to offer us salvation. He knew what we would do when He called us to rise up and walk and follow Him. For us, Jesus entered through the sheep gate as the Lamb of God. And then guess what? When He carried His cross to Golgotha and shed His blood as a sacrifice for our sins... Guess which gate he went out to be crucified? The sheep gate. Jesus lived and died for us so we could die to sin and self and live for Jesus. And, and what happened to the man who found healing in Jesus? He did what he should have done. He walked into the temple to worship God and tell others what Jesus did for him. Verse 10, look at this. The Jews, therefore, that saw him carrying his mat, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. <laughs> oh, wow. Isn't that just like a selfish world, finding some way to knock a miracle or discourage a person who has been blessed? Have you ever had anybody do that to you? Something good happened to you and somebody knocked it. Listen, our world today, with all its evil and hatred for Jesus and anything he does, it's no different than the world in that day. They hated Jesus, and when the man was healed by Jesus, they hated him. Today there are many who reject Jesus, many who are satisfied with their sick, sinful condition, many who are miserable and want others to be miserable, and many who want to exercise power over desperate people. We need to take an example from this man who, when he found out it was Jesus who healed him, he was not ashamed or afraid to tell the people around him Jesus did it. Verses 11 through 15. Well, they said it's not... Lawful on Sabbath to carry a bed. Jesus answered, and the man answered them, He, verse 11, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, Well, who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing Come upon you, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Boy, he gave a testimony. That's some testimony, isn't it? I was crippled for 38 years. I put all my trust in a pool of water. But then one day, Jesus came by and he looked at me and I was suffering and I was desperate. And Jesus just said to me, rise and walk. And at that point... I never felt anything like it. But power went down through my body and into my legs. And I got up and I walked. And I wouldn't let anybody discourage me. I'm still living for Jesus. Folks, that happened to me one day. I wasn't paralyzed in my legs. I was paralyzed in my life, in my soul. And Jesus said to me, get out of that. Rise up and walk. And Donnie Lovett got up and walked for Jesus and with Jesus. Has that happened to you? Then you need to let people see that and know that. If we have repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, just as Jesus died for our sins, we should die to sin 
And as he rose from the dead, we should rise and live his new life every day for his glory. That's what Paul said, Romans 6, 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's why we go under the water in baptism, water baptism and we come out. We say, I once was lost, I was dead, now I've died to my sins, and now I live a new person in Jesus Christ. That's why every person, believer ought to be baptized in water to show others the new life Jesus gave us when we heard his voice say, rise and walk. But even more important, every believer should do what he or she can do. No matter your condition. Do whatever you can do to help others find the Jesus who is the living water that leads to everlasting life. And it's always available for someone that would hear his voice. It was one of the, I read this uh, little story about the water, an anonymous story. It was one of the hottest days of the dry season. We had not seen rain in almost a month. The crops were dying, cows had stopped giving milk. The creek, creeks and streams were long gone back into the earth. It was a dry season that would bankrupt several farmers before it was through. Well, every day my husband and his brothers would go about the arduous process of trying to get water to the fields. Lately, this process had involved taking a truck to the local water rendering plant and filling it up with water. But severe rationing could cut everyone off. If we didn't see some rain soon, we were going to lose everything. It was on this day I learned the true lesson of sharing and witnessed the only miracle I have seen with my own eyes. I was in the kitchen making lunch for my husband and his brothers when I saw my six-year-old son Billy walking toward the woods. He wasn't walking with the usual carefree abandon of a youth, but with a serious purpose. I could only see his back. He was obviously walking with a great effort, trying to be as still as possible. Minutes later, he disappeared in the woods. He came running out again toward the house. I went back to making the sandwiches, thinking that whatever task he'd been doing was completed. Well, moments later, he was once again walking that slow, purposeful stride into the woods. And this activity went on for an hour. Walk carefully to the woods, run back to the house. Finally, I couldn't take it any longer. And I crept out of the house and I followed him on his journey so that he wouldn't see me. He was cupping both hands in front of him as he walked, being very careful not to spill the water he held in his little hands. Maybe two or three tablespoons were held in his little hands. I sneaked close as he went into the woods. Branches and thorns slapped his little face, but he didn't, he didn't try to avoid them. He just kept going. He had a higher purpose. And as I leaned in to spy on him, I saw the most amazing sight. Several large deer loomed in front of him. Billy walked right up to them. I almost screamed for him to get away because a huge buck with, an, with elaborate antlers, a big rack, was dangerously close. But the buck didn't threaten him. He didn't even move as Billy knelt down. I saw a tiny little fawn lying on the ground, obviously suffering from dehydration and heat exhaustion, it lifted up its head with great effort to lap up the water cupped in my beautiful boy's hand. When the water was gone, Billy jumped up to run back to the house, and I hid behind a tree, and I followed him back to the house to a spigot, which we had shut off the water because Billy had been playing in the water. And uh, so Billy opened the spigot all the way up 
And a small trickle began to creep out. And he just knelt there, holding his little hands under that spigot, letting the drip slowly fill up his little cup in his hands. And when he stood up and began to trek back, I was there in front of him. His little eyes just filled with tears. And he said, Mommy, I'm not wasting. As he began his walk, I joined him, this time with a small pot of water from the kitchen. And I let him tend to that little fawn, and I stayed away. It was his job. I stood on the edge of the woods watching the most beautiful heart I'd ever known, working so hard to save another life. As the tears that rolled down my face began to hit the ground, all of a sudden I noticed they were joined by other drops and more drops and more. And I looked up at the sky and it was as if God himself was weeping with pride. Some will probably say this was just all a huge coincidence that miracles don't really exist. That it was bound to rain sometime. And I can't argue with that. I'm not going to try. All I can say is that the rain came that day and saved our farm, just like the loving actions of one little boy saved a little deer. Folks, uh, Jesus might be calling you to rise up today. Rise up. Get up. And get out of that sick and sinful place and help others find life in Him You've got the living water in you, a well of water. Would you take and would you give it to someone who's desperate? Like Jesus told the man, you can't go back to that old pool and follow him. You have to keep going, walking in a new life and helping others find the Savior that gives them eternal life. Would you give someone out of that abundance of water you have in you, would you give someone that drink of living water today. Would you bow with me? Are you walking in the new life of Jesus? Do others see what Jesus has done in your life? When that man got up and walked, everyone around him saw that. Do the people in your world see that Jesus has made an eternal difference in you? He's, he's called you to rise up and walk. Are you walking with him? Are you walking for him? Are you helping the desperate people around you find a Savior who can heal them? Have you heard Jesus' voice? calling you to rise up from your sin and unbelief and receive His forgiveness and eternal life. Maybe you are hearing Him today. Deep down inside, He has spoken to you. What is He telling you to do? Is there a little person dear to Jesus, lying there waiting for someone to give them a drink of living water? Can you help? Can you do something? You can. Maybe you need to drink it yourself. You've not been saved. You don't know where you're going to go when you die. You don't, you're not sure you're going to heaven. Why don't you ask Jesus to be your Savior? Put your trust in Him. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to this world. And you went in and out the sheep gate to die on a cross and shed your blood and suffer for me. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you were my sacrifice that could set me free. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you to come into my life. I'm open, Jesus. I need your living water. Pour it in. I want to be saved. I want to have new life. I want to follow you, Jesus. Today, I give you my heart. I give you my legs, my arms, my eyes, my tongue. And whatever happens, I will follow you no matter what. I won't go back. I'll keep going with you, Jesus. Thank you for being my Savior. I accept you today as my Savior and Lord forever. Boy, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, the greatest thing in the world just happened. You've got new life. Start living it. If you're a Christian, whatever the Lord's told you to do today, that's between you and the Lord. Just do what He wants you to do, and He'll touch someone. He, will, he could change the world if all God's people just do exactly what He wants us to do. Thank you, Lord, for the Word and for the message you've spoken to each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be at the front while we're singing. If you want me to pray for you about anything, I'll be right here. Stand with us as we sing, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life, my hope, my glory, my all. Wonderful Master, in joy and in strife, on Him you do may call. Jesus is Lord.